Hey, welcome back to SwitchCast Live. It is Wednesday at 8 p.m., and that means we know where we are, and uh, hopefully you know where you are, too, uh, especially if you're here. It's my weekly appointment to have a glass of bourbon in my hand. And I guess we talk <laughs> about stuff, but I have my priorities straight. <laughs> Only one glass, though. Uh, I'm your host, Doug Tabbitt, and SwitchCast is a podcast where we seek to educate, edify, and entertain you on the drive of your life. And uh, tonight, we're getting back to more of your questions. We love interacting with the audience and answering your questions. Uh, whether or not our answers are helpful or not has yet to be determined, but uh, we enjoy it quite a bit. So if you're watching on YouTube or TikTok or Facebook, for that matter, uh, all three of you on Facebook, feel free to throw your questions in the comment flow where you're watching live. Uh, Tyler will get them over to me. Ethan will get them over. And... Uh, We'll make up an answer if we don't know the actual answer, but either way, we'll have fun. Um, so, thank you for joining us. For those and, of you on uh, Facebook, I do watch. I am here. Oh, all right. Nobody has any questions, but it, it, I'm Bill, here. Bill's a husky, Jason Sabo, and my mom. Perfect. <laughs> yes, Tell them to those comment are the live. regulars on Facebook. <laughs> so, the, the commenters, anyway. What is happening down there? Our producer, Ethan Huffnagel, in the house, messing with the sound. <laughs> So there is one topic that I've had in my show notes for the past two or three episodes that we've not gotten to yet, uh, and it has to do with kind of the expectations that people place on dealers when they are purchasing a car. Now, I may be the wrong person to set these expectations because I'm a dealer, so obviously dealers, uh, I guess from the public perspective dealers are seen as wanting to absolve themselves of any responsibility when it comes to a sale. You know, that may be true. That's why we have this giant as-is clause when we sell a car. Um, but dealers do different levels of preparation in order to get the car ready for sale, different levels of disclosure, of representation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that's something you need to be aware of when you buy a car. So the backstory to this is two separate situations, and both of them come across as, as kind of ridiculous when you see it um, from an outside view, but I think they're the logical extremes of, of assumptions that we make all the time about what we're getting when we buy a car from a dealer. Um, and, and this kind of goes back to what we talked about a few episodes ago of how to buy cars smartly and, and the whole principle of caveat emptor, which is buyer beware. It's up to the buyer to perform their due diligence, not to rely on salesmen's slick talk and promises because they, they don't mean jack squat, but they you shouldn't expect them to. So um, it's like marriage. If, if you're disillusioned with marriage is because you set your expectations incorrectly and you should have gone to premarital counseling to set your expectations so that you like have a smooth ride. Well, this is your premarital counseling for marrying a car dealer. <laughs> it's not that funny, but anyway. Um, so th there was uh, one, uh, I, I guess, a review that I, I saw online where somebody left a, a review for a dealer and I was able to get the dealer's side of the story Um mostly because I, I think they post, Oh, that's right. They posted it in a response. Um, Oh, like the dealer posted their Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. It was a dealer that had kind of the same mentality as I do that the customer is not 
always right, um, especially when they just make crap up and put it in the review. So the gist of the review was, hey, I bought a Toyota from you guys, and a couple weeks later, the engine blew up, and you guys told me to go pound sand. You guys are terrible, horrible, one star. And the dealer responded and said, gee, how about you tell them that it wasn't two weeks later, but like two months, and oh, by the way, it happened to blow up about an hour after you took it to the Toyota dealer for an oil change. I wonder how that happened. And now the Toyota wants to the Toyota dealer wants to sell you a brand new engine for nine thousand dollars or whatever it was, and you didn't tell them in the review that we offered to help you out with you know an independent mechanic get everything done at our cost etc etc even though we had nothing to do with it but you come back blaming the used car dealer for a blown engine when it happened literally right after you picked it up from a different dealership who did an oil change do you think maybe it was the oil change also how do you screw up an oil change that bad you just don't put the drain plug back in or yeah, don't put oil back oil. in one of two things. I mean, that happened to my buddy uh, when I was in high school at Walmart. I mean, that's Walmart. Don't get your oil changed at Walmart. <laughs> yeah. But this, So this happened at a Toyota dealer. So there's two lessons in this. One is just because a manufacturer's name is on a $50,000 backlit sign on the building does not mean that they should be trusted. Um you can have bad employees and bad management at any dealership. Um, so that there, people put an inherent level of trust in a franchise dealership over an independent dealership, and they should not. Um, all of them should be distrusted equally. Start from a zero <laughs> and move up. Uh, it's it's uh, for the theological nerds. Ap- apply. Uh, John Calvin's principle of nah, now I forgot it. Um, is it not original sin? Total total depravity. Total depravity. Total depravity. That's Thank the tea you. and tulip. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Um, that all car dealers are sinful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And but maybe some of them have been shown common grace and are a little better than terrible. Anyway. Um, irresistible grace. <laughs> irresist. No, but yeah. Okay. Anyway, I and tulip. Um, we're getting too deep in the theology. <laughs> Sorry if we lost. Uh, Producer Ethan is here to educate tonight. We lost Sit some of the Nazarenes. <laughs> yeah. I like the theology courses. Oh, anyway. anyway um, there's a whole segment on comparing theology to the car business, but next week. No. <laughs> Tune in next time. <laughs> Where Babylon B is the guest on yeah. Switchcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so one, don't automatically blame independent dealers. Two, don't automatically trust franchise dealers. But three, um, just because something goes wrong doesn't mean it's the dealer's fault that sold you the car. Like stuff goes wrong. Cars break. Uh, sometimes dealers check the cars out. In this case, the dealer said we did a 
X number point inspection on the car. We changed the oil before we sold it to you, but you just had to go get it serviced at the Toyota dealer. And then the Toyota dealer upsold them on a whole bunch of other stuff that they didn't need. So this was like a good dealer. They checked the car out. They serviced the car. But let's say the engine blew up two weeks later or a month later anyway. Still not the dealer's problem. Well, because there's so much that can happen from the moment they drive it off the lot. Like, literally anything could happen. Yeah. I don't know how you could blame the dealer for that unless it was proven to be by some other independent mechanic. Like, it was this thing that has been wrong for months. Right. Right. And the dealer knew about it. Yes. That's the other thing. Because they could have gotten a PPI. Yes. Something. PPI is standing for pre-purchase inspection. So let's go back, go to another story. And this is with with me. Um, I sold a high mileage Porsche 911 Turbo, 150,000 miles. It came with extensive service records. I bought it directly from the previous owner, not from an auction. So I knew, like, you know, he disclosed what he knew about it. Um, There was some stuff that wasn't as disclosed perfectly, but it was a 150,000-mile car. I'm like, okay, I know what I'm getting into. Had all the service records. Uh, We serviced it here. The buyer then took it to a pre-purchase inspection. I pushed them. I said, you should get a leak down and compression test. The Metzger engines are stout, but on a high mileage one, that'll indicate the health of the motor. They didn't. Everything went fine with the PPI other than some grinding in fourth gear, which they negotiated a couple grand off and never ended up fixing because it was so minor, which is what I told them. I'm like, I drove it and it never happened to me. So it happened twice on the PPI test drive. Anyway, so... Eight months later, they come back to us and say, hey, the engine shot. That's what the Porsche dealer told me. And, you know, needs a total rebuild. And it's been consuming oil since 400 miles after I bought it from you. I'm like, okay, well, one, why didn't I hear from you seven months ago? Two, you got a PPI. Three, you had all the service records, which showed no evidence of oil consumption. Um, and then to top it off, the Porsche dealer that said they needed the new engine offered the guy seven grand for the car. Cause they're like, oh, all the issues it, it has for a Porsche 997 turbo six speed. I'm like, it's worth more than that scrap. You could drive it off a cliff and get seven grand for it. I'm like, but he came back to us and threw us under the bus and gave us a bad review. Meanwhile, there was a great review up for the shop he got the inspection from and is still up stating such a great inspection. It helped me have confidence to know exactly what I was getting. And I'm like, you ever think maybe the shop didn't do their PPI right? Or the Porsche dealer is screwing you over because they're offering you seven grand. Oh no, 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 no. It's, it's a gold master mechanic. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean their sales manager isn't screwing you over. Seven grand should be a big red flag that maybe I'm not the bad guy in this situation. That is, that's what I would expect like a roller 996 with 130,000 miles to be worth. Like not a 997 turbo. Right. Even with the engine problem. Right. That's insane. Like I think I was going to offer him 38 or 40. But he's like, well, I paid 65 so I want 55 back or something. And I'm like, one, the market's gone down more than that since you bought it. Two, 
if I was buying it back, I buy it at trade-in value anyway, regardless of, let's say the car was perfect, I'd still discount it 10% off of retail. So the market's gone down 15%. I'm at 10%. So we're at like 48 grand if the car's perfect. Well, like, I'm not going to insult you at 38, but not giving him an offer was more insulting. But it, like, it, the, the bottom line was it all came back to me. It's the used car dealer's fault that should be all-knowing, even though you had a PPI, even though you had service records, but then you say the Porsche dealer is totally trustworthy because they're telling me what the car needs, but then offering me seven grand. And I'm like, once again, don't trust a dealer just because they have a franchise blessing, right? Like, they're still in it to make money. Yeah, I've never understood the thing amongst a lot of people that the dealer is like the place to go they are the the gods in terms of knowing these cars and that's that's the end all be all like it's in some use it to justify the crazy service costs but it also like they're all just the people the right. same people that could be working at an independent that either have the experience or don't and if you have an older car like a 997 that's not that old i would hope that the techs there still know how to work on those but still like you're running the risk of them not being trained on that specific vehicle right right yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you go through a typical Porsche school or whatever now, they're not training you on air-cooled cars. Why would they? Yeah. So I'd rather go to an indie shop that has worked on them and knows all the common issues and, and has the experience there. I don't give a crap whether they went through Porsche training or not. So, But the lesson here, again, have your expectations set properly when you go to a dealer. Because if things go wrong... It's not going to be their fault and you can complain and leave them a bad review, but they're not going to do anything for you because used cars are used cars. And that's not me trying to like stand up for all my people, right? Like I've badmouthed more car dealers here sometimes by name on this podcast. I'd like to say that I take a step away from the owner of switch cars and am independent here unbiased as much as I can be, but you got to know what you're getting into when you buy a car from a dealer. It is your responsibility to do your homework, to know what you're getting. And regardless of what they tell you, you're buying the car as is. So make sure you factor that into your, your thought process, your discovery, anything you want to know about the car is on you. Um, because half the time the dealers running through so many cars, they just, they miss stuff. Um, so, and that's not an out for the dealers either. I mean, goodness knows I ran McLaren Charlotte through the ringer for not disclosing something they should have known. And, you know, they use the exact excuse I just said is, well, we buy too many cars to know all that stuff. And I'm like, okay, but you should have known this one. So the, the mint GT3. Yeah. The mint green GT3. So anyway, um, end of rant. Hopefully that is helpful to some of you. Some of you may already know it, um, but uh, yeah, know what you're getting into and buying a car is, is always a risk. So um, used car dealers are sell warranties as a product and mark them up for a profit. They don't warranty cars. So <laughs> they are just the, the vehicle by which a car moves and, and comes through. And sometimes they don't know jack squat about them. They just buy them from auction, wash them and put them on the lot. And they didn't do anything. So you know, ask the dealer what their recon process is, what their inspection process is, what they look for. 
Um, nothing wrong with buying a dealer that bought a car from auction, just shoved it on the lot. You just need to know that you have to do that much more due diligence. Um, but you also shouldn't implicitly trust a dealer that put it through a 180 point inspection or like a Porsche, or or I shouldn't just say Porsche. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to pick on Porsche, (laughs) any certified pre-owned car. That doesn't mean the car is good. It just means it went through their 180 point inspection and the things that needed to be replaced were replaced. That doesn't mean the car didn't used to be a turd or wasn't used as a snowplow vehicle. And I always wonder like what those points are. Is each wheel having like the correct tire pressure a point? So there's four, you know, like I don't want to, again, I'm not trying to besmirch any dealers, but it seems like they could fudge that a little bit. It's not super thorough. So, I mean, it is and it isn't. But for example, when I inspect a GT car for somebody, I have my own inspection list that is literally... I mean, it's the normal stuff, right? Panel gap, paint meter, how do the tires look? How do the brakes look, et cetera. But I've probably got 60 or 70 different items that are specific to that model car that I know are common issues and common things to look for. Not, And I'm not a mechanic, but people hire me to do pre-purchase inspections on Porsche GT cars, which is a little bit scary. Um, but zero of those items are covered in a certified inspection. Zero. They inspect ceramic brakes, but they don't measure the thicknesses with a caliper and they don't look for the typical signs of excessive heat in them. They measure the pads and I guess they do a visual inspection of the rotors, but I always wonder what that means. It's there. <laughs> like, you know. Right. It's not cracked. Yeah. I, like so anyway. Caveat emptor. And commercial. Yeah, SwitchCast is brought to you by BoxCast. BoxCast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers around the world. Their founders launched BoxCast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people a part of the experience. If you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, BoxCast is an easy and flexible live streaming platform for organizations. BoxCast is so easy that we're broadcasting this show with a phone. So head on over to switchcars.com slash BoxCast for your free trial. And it looks like after a couple week hiatus, we've got the Corvette curmudgeon back with us. Hello. Hi, Tyler. How's it going? Uh, you know, it is going pretty good. It is a bit of a kind of weather kind of day, but I'm happy to be here. Yeah, happy not to see Corvette you again. driving weather, that's for sure. My goodness, no. It's soggy and cold uh, here in uh, good old Ohio. But you've been a pretty busy guy over the past few weeks. You've yeah. uh, been to some shows. Yep, been up to Woodward and been out to uh, Corvettes at Carlisle. That's a, uh, that's a place to go. Really? Which show was your favorite of those two? No, oh, friggin' Corvettes at Carlisle, of course. Lots and lots of rare Corvettes there. What was the rarest one that you saw? Well, I didn't take mine, so that would have been oh, the rarest okay. one. Yeah, yeah. I got you, I got you. But uh, I but, think I uh, see- you know, they did have some, you know, some early uh, 1953 Corvettes there. There's only 200 of them made. That, that's Those are rare. Yeah, that's no matter how you slice it, that's pretty darn rare. Yep. I did see, uh, too, from the uh, Woodward Dream Cruise, there was uh, some photos of a bunch of Ford GTs lined up. I think that's the first time a bunch of those have been seen somewhere in a while. Did you check that out while you were there? Why would I look at a friggin' Ford? Well, Ford GTs are pretty cool, aren't they? 
Were they all at a repair shop or something? <laughs> no, I think they were there just driving around in like a parade or something. I don't know. Like a Mustang GT? No, like the Ford GT, the the mid-engine, like the GT40 from the 60s, that, that kind of oh, style. Oh, cars them rich people collect. I, you you could put it that way. That They're quite expensive now, yep. unfortunately. Yep. Huh. Yep. Well, uh, do you have anything else coming up this year that you want to go check out? Well, no, but, uh, you know, it's about time to go into hibernation. You know, Corvette's going to get washed and, and you know, go, go in. Well, she's not dirty, but, you know, she'll get a wipe down and get under the cover and go away for the winter. You know, it's coming up soon. But, uh, no, Corvette's Carlisle was pretty good. You know, uh, Callaway and Tuner was out there, and uh, they brought their uh, new Corvette C8. They supercharged, and uh, it was it was pretty uh, – Pretty impressive. Had had their wide body kit on it, which I'm not much for those kind of modifications and stuff. But I thought it actually uh, looked looked pretty good. Looked better in the the new Z06, and you know probably buy their kit for what the friggin' rip off dealers would charge you just for the markup on new Z06. So you know uh, it's got 700 horsepower, which I don't know how anybody needs that much, but you know. It's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I'm not gonna buy one. My fixed income or whatever. But you know, it, it was neat. It was neat. And uh, me and the misses had a good time. Oh, you took the misses. Oh with yeah, you. yeah, that's yeah. good. She goes to them out of town shows with me. So, uh, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. We stayed at stayed at uh, cheapest hotel she would let me stay at. And you know, we went to a show one day. And uh, you know, friggin' rip-off food vendors there. You know, it's expensive. So we packed our own lunches. But I picked up a couple brochures from the, you know, the traders there. You know, so I'd have some original, some extra original brochures, uh, you know, for my car. And, uh, you know, got to go to show one day. And then the next day she wanted to tour around a little bit. So we went to a place and found some ice wine for her and just had some good times. It was, it was it was good times. Well, you know what? I'm I'm happy to hear that. Uh, sad to hear that it's about time for the, your Corvette to go into hibernation, but uh, it is Ohio after all, and that's kind of what happens. Oh, yeah. it's all depressing. Yep. Here. After Labor Day, you know, she doesn't wear white, and I don't drive my car. So, <laughs> perfect. Well, uh, thank you for coming back in again tonight. Uh, yep. Always look forward to our little chats every week, and we'll uh, we'll see you around. Thank you. All right. Corvette Curmudgeon is brought to you unwittingly by the Corvette Buy Sell Trade Group on Facebook, your source for cranky boomers, overpriced Corvettes, and reinforced stereotypes. Ethan didn't laugh no, this time. No, he didn't. Yeah, Welcome knows. back, Doug. Thank you. I, I don't know if you have seen the new Callaway C8, but it is friggin' amazing. Okay, so I've been trying to look it this up. It well, looks better than... I, I mean... What color is it in all the photos you're looking at? Orange. Okay. Uh, it looks better than pretty much any of it, like, as good as a comparable Ferrari. Maybe not as good as the SF90, but I think it looks better than a Huracan. I think it looks better than the NSX and probably still cheaper than any of them. Ooh, it's got the, like, fender flare situations on yeah. it. Wide that body. does look pretty good. Wide body situation. When you said wide, or sorry, when the Corvette Cremogen said wide body, I was a little confused because all the photos I was looking at just looked like a normal C8. I couldn't tell any difference, and I was about to start this whole thing about how, you know, he maybe was, you know, a little lost in the sauce no, or it's, something. it's sick. I think it looks better than a Z06. Um, way better. Anyway, uh, this weekend, speaking of events, the Corvette Cremogen would not go to this. It is GM event but 
there ain't no Corvettes there. Nah, I'm going to the uh, the outback in the Midwest at Travis Bell's pad in Indianapolis, which is arguably the largest, uh, arguably, uh, not arguably, it either is or it isn't. I just don't know if I've confirmed this fact that it is the largest gathering of Holdens in the country. I don't know if they're still holding the record for that. Uh, I wonder if the Corvette curmudgeon even knows what a Holden is. That's a good question. <laughs> I should <laughs> pop that in We've the been bed. holding out on him. <laughs> yeah. is it, isn't Travis Bell's house just like normally the like per capita, the highest concentrated place in the U.S. of Holden? Probably. I think he owns four or five. I thought it was, I thought it was like so, six at one point. Or Holden-based cars anyway. So yeah. I don't know how many like legit Australian ones will be there and how many converted cars or whatever but i'm i'm pretty excited i think it'll it'll be sweet i think it'll be cool yeah a whole bunch of automatic transmissions (laughs) (laughs) let's say are you driving anything out are you uh Uh, i'm taking the cannonball car out so me and arnie will be there with the 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 cannonball cars on display so you'll get there in no time am i right yeah yeah nope driving the speed (laughs) limit driving the speed limit we had a uh a commercial lobster man uh, say that he loved your sweatshirt, by oh. the way. The most, so. Well, thank you. Yeah. For those of you listening on the audio podcast, um, we won't uh, get into politics here, but since he brought it up, uh, the sweatshirt I was wearing is Save Maine Lobsterman uh, because um, the environmentalists are at it again, trying to take away our internal combustion cars and, you know, paper toilet paper. <laughs> But also, they're trying <laughs> to say the options. <laughs> they're trying to say that uh, the lines from the lobster traps are entangling the endangered right whale and killing them off, and so we should stop lobster fishing. Mm-hmm. And um, it's ridiculous. There's no weight to that claim. Um, yeah. The more ironic part of it, we're going down a political rabbit trail, is the governor of Maine has spoken out against this because obviously lobster fishing and is, uh, sorry, lobster is one of the largest exports for Maine. Big part of their economy. Probably also draws a lot of tourists up there who want you know fresh lobster rolls get that good good right 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 (laughs) yeah so she basically said um you know we can't shut down an entire economy based on you know errant predictions and you know pie in the sky numbers of something we think might uh might be dangerous i'm wildly paraphrasing but the irony of all that was she shut down the state for longer than almost any other state for the whole, you know, pandemic thing. And um, if you had literally taken that exact quote that she said and said it back to her about her policies during the pandemic, it would have been kind of hilarious because, um, yeah, the predictions of of doom, especially in the state of Maine, like the, the hospitalization numbers were astronomically low and Mm. there was no reason to shut down the state's tourism economy for predictions but you know she does what is politically and financially expedient i guess at the time anyway long rabbit trail (laughs) 
Thank you for that comment. Uh, we do have a super chat on YouTube. Yeah. We can right. bring it back to our discussion a little bit before the Corvette curmudgeon joined us. So Mo uh, sent us a super chat. Thank you very much, Mo, for hanging out. I think you're also a regular uh, watcher of Switchcast. Wait, be- before Mo. Yes. I just came up with a, a, a something. Oh, here we I, go. My, no, I could say for the, for the lobster fisherman, he'll get this. Um, my Corvette is as rare as a blue lobster. All right. Well, Are blue lobsters real? Yes. Oh, I had no idea. Yes. I once actually saw one uh, at an aquarium down the street from us that was like a line right down the middle. It was half red and half blue. Oh, that's sweet. Why yeah. are they blue? I don't remember. He might know this. There is a reason. I forget. But All right. there is a reason. Sorry, Mo, uh, again, thanks for the super chat. Uh, they say, I'm being sued on a 150,000-mile 2003 uh, Carrera 4S. Buyer is claiming I should have replaced the IMS before they purchased it. It hasn't failed. They declined back. Wait, hold up. I thought this said, sorry, Mo, when I first read this, I thought it said it had failed. And that would make sense why they would be suing you. I don't are, you a, are you a dealer? Is Mo a dealer? I don't but, Mo, let but, us know. And what are they how much are they suing you for? Like the three grand that it costs to replace? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Right. Um and how long have they had the car? I mean that okay, better question. Have they filed a lawsuit? PS for any of you watching who are lawyers or aren't, this is not legal advice and I'm not a lawyer. This is just practical advice. I'm just asking what's going on. Um uh, are they actually suing? Have they filed a lawsuit or are they just threatening suit? Because there's a big difference in 99 times out of 10 in the car business. It is, hey, I'm going to sue you or else. It's a shakedown. So please give us more details on the specifics of that so that I can answer that. Because that's a really interesting one. And yeah, I, I'm sorry for the situation, but I look forward to digging into that one a little more. Yeah, I'll let you know as soon as uh, Mo hits us up again. But that, like, I can't imagine buying a 150,000-mile M96 car, and that is the <laughs> engine code of the engine in the 996s, and then deciding to be a pain in the rear about the IMS. Like, it, it's probably fine. Listen. Or the car was cheap enough that it shouldn't matter. That was sorted out way, way long ago with Porsche. Like, you should be going after them. If, <laughs> yeah. if Porsche doesn't have responsibility no other dealer down the line that'd be like i don't know that'd be like suing somebody who sold you a 2007 toyota camry because of oil consumption issues and it's like no that is a known issue from the factory that should have been addressed by the factory under recall whatever that's again that's not the used car dealer's problem So I'm getting Mo says yes, which I'm assuming means yes, they're suing for <clears throat> 50,000 in damages. What? Is the car even worth half of that? Uh, 150,000 miles on a C4S is a lot. Okay. This is one scenario where I wish we had call in again, because <laughs> I just like, I need to, I need to ask him more questions. I, 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 it, do they want emotional damages? Yeah, like, <laughs> like seriously, the IMS bearing in their brain fail. I mean, good <laughs> golly! At that point, I don't know how long ago you sold the car. Two this years is, ago, you just said this is one of those scenarios. Okay, great. Two years ago, so you sold them the car for probably the same or less than it's worth now, right? Because 
996s have pretty much stayed stable. Unless they've put like 100,000 miles on it since you sold it, this is one of those scenarios where I would just say, I will happily buy the car back for every cent that you paid me for it and call their bluff. What's crazy is they're saying, Mo is saying that the buyer has declined buyback. Like they've already offered it. They said they want to keep the car. Like this is a wild situation. I can't understand. I, I can't understand how they would have any possible claim, especially since you offered a buyback. Like you, again, I'm not an attorney, but there's principles that <laughs> apply here. Like I, this has to get thrown out. That's a ridiculous, ridiculous claim. Fifty thousand dollars in what? In what damages? Mo said they sold it for eighteen thousand dollars. What damages? Yeah, I, this is ridiculous. Like you have to prove damages. You can't just make things up when you claim things, right? You can't just go sue somebody and make up a random amount and say this is how much I want. These are my da-. like. You have to state your damages and and provide documentation for such. Did he say I'm being sued? Like it's ac- it's actively happening? Yeah, uh, Mo said yes. Lawsuit is dragging for two years now. Sold the car for eighteen thousand. There, Mo is a dealer, and uh, yeah, they're soon for. 50 I would, So it's not a threat. It's actually happening. Yeah, it's I can't happening. believe that that didn't get thrown out. That's wild. I please email us if you have a link to the proceedings or something because that stuff is public record. Please, yeah, Mo, send please. that over. I want to dig into this more. Also, I think that's something you should send over to Steve Lato on Lato's Law. That's, I mean, maybe you already have. Please, please get in touch with this. I want to, I want to dig into this more because yeah, that is crazy. I, I'm sorry that we're everybody else is entertained at your expense. We're not entertained, but this is a crazy situation, and and crazy situations are what make this show go around because. You know, if you just bought cars and everything went fine all the time, then we'd have nothing to talk about. We'd all be out just driving our cars. <laughs> Seriously. We could fire so, up the call-in aspect again. Do a, do yeah, a we thing. could. So, Ethan, I, I want to do, do a little like... bit of homework on this, though, because that's uh, this is baffling to me. Yeah. Absolutely baffling. So, yeah, please, um, uh, you can submit a form through switchcast.live, a, a contact us form, uh, and and. You know, if you can send any information on the actual proceedings anymore, whatever you're allowed to share, um, that would be fantastic. And, and we'll try to help you out more on this. So, And thanks for the tip. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Let's go to a commercial. Yeah, SwitchCast is brought to you by Celebrity Machines. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they've appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our dealer insert plates as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. Visit CelebrityMachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save 25.39% at checkout. Sharpening my knives again over here. (laughs) That's going to be, he's going to use those on me if I screw up and add to it again. (laughs) All right, so wall of shame. Uh, This is typically where people say silly things to dealers. This one's a little bit different. This one is more of a mean tweet week. Uh, This was a uh, comment on one of my videos, but I couldn't help sharing it because 
Uh, pretty sure it comes from a boomer. It's in all caps. And it was uh, it was pretty hilarious. It was all caps with lots of LOL and clown emojis, I think, directed at me as being the clown. Quote, I'm going to use Corvette curmudgeon speak because I think that's what he was doing. And also he was yelling through his keyboard. This absolute utter pine cone has no effing idea what he's dribbling about. Hold up. Did you actually get called a pine cone? Yes. I don't know what a pine cone <laughs> That's is. Such a banger term, bro. What a I pine love cone. That. Dude, if somebody called me a pine cone, oh ah, my god. That's fantastic. I I'm Googling pine cone. I get the pine cone <laughs> ice cream shop. Vector database for vector search. God, I'd be just absolutely uh, lit on fire if somebody called me a pine cone. <laughs> I do wonder what that is supposed to mean. <laughs> Pinecone slang. <laughs> oh, Pinecone, an absolute idiot. Someone who has done something completely dumb and deserve to be called a Pinecone. I don't think I've heard anybody born after the year 1970 that has used that as an insult. <laughs> That's though, great. So. I, I just looked it up on Reddit. Someone said, what does Pinecone what, what pine mean as an insult? He says someone just referred to me as a Pinecone online, and the top re- response was, shut up, Pinecone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is the fact that you don't know it. That is self like I explanatory. Guess, that yeah. is a Most. self-definition of the term Pinecone. I kind of want to start using this. Oh gosh! Because like dropping swears starts to lose its impact when you do it enough. I think yeah, pinecone really just has a fresh, nice cut to it. Oh yeah, it's so good. I responded. <laughs> I just said, "What exactly <laughs> did I say that was factually incorrect or whatever?" No response. So oh, that was a, that was a beautiful read. <laughs> uh, that was well worth it. That was that was really <laughs> that was, good. That was a good segment. He was not. He was not. He did not send us stars with that comment. Uh, He's not a super tipper chat. This whatever pine cone and utter pine cone too. It's the most pine coney of all the pine cones. Oh my gosh! Amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, on that note, <laughs> the shrewd negotiator uh, brought to you sort of unofficially by Vin Wiki. Uh, yeah, fire away. Yeah, so this week we've got something for you that was posted in the Porsche 911 buy-sell trade uh, area group uh, thingamajig. Uh, I was on the Porsche website browsing the Porsche certified pre-owned cars area. It has been on sale for nine months. It's listed at $159,500. Do you think the dealer is willing to negotiate? So... (laughs) I have to make fun of this guy. I didn't in the comments because whatever. But he was referencing a specific car and asking a question. But the question was not about the car. Like, is this a good car? Is it a bad car? Is there a reason this car has been for sale for nine months? Do you know anything about this dealer? Are they good to work with? All of those are valid questions, right? Insider information. Asking a third party if the dealer is willing to negotiate is the dumbest question ever because you could just call the dealer and say, are you willing to negotiate? And they would say yes or they would say no. I I see this all the time where people are like unable to figure out a price on their own. So a lot of times people will post and they'll be like, what do you think this car is worth? It's for sale at this dealer for this much. And it's like, do your research, figure it. Like, why do you take random internet people's opinion on what something is worth? That's just like something that happens now. So I'm going to a bunch of like 
groups where we talk about bourbon all the time because I'm into whiskey and such. And everybody will buy things that everybody else seems to be buying. And then they'll post a picture of it in their like on their crotch in their car and say, oh, anybody heard anything about this? I just had to pick it up. And like, I don't. So people are looking for validation or something. Right. Validation is a big thing, right? They're not content in what they buy on their own, so it's like, it's it's the Corvette curmudgeon thing. It's the whole thing of my car is one of one because you're telling other people that so they will like your car more. Who cares? Do you like your car? Yeah. And would you like it if it wasn't a one of one or if no nobody else cared? But you know, it's valid to ask people for advice, but you know, with a shrewd negotiator, we're making fun of people for being not shrewd negotiators at all because there's a tactic to use and there's valid questions to ask. And we've covered those in other episodes, but there's a lot of questions you should ask other people about the dealer or about the car specifically that would inform you on what you should offer, what the car might be worth or why it hasn't sold. But just asking if the dealer's going to negotiate, like, you know, he got the answers that he didn't ask because a lot of people knew about that dealer and said they're not great to do business with or it's a waste of time, et cetera, et cetera. But it wasn't the questions he actually asked, but it was what he needed to know. So, yeah, it's just interesting strategy when I see people like, well, what do you think they'll sell it for? I don't know. Ask them. <laughs> yeah. How about what what do you think it's worth? It doesn't matter like what they're asking. What is it worth? If it's worth what they're asking, then just pay it. Who cares what they'll sell it for, or whether they'll negotiate or whatever. Just pay what it's worth. Everybody out here trying to get a deal. We got Henry Collins in YouTube chat saying the guy who asked that question is a pinecone. So I hope this has started a trend of pinecone being the official insult of Switchcast. Yeah, I like that. We we can go with that. I like pinecones though because they come from conifers and you know evergreens are great you don't have to clean up their leaves and they provide much better shade you know privacy for your neighbors from your neighbors Tell whatever me you're from maine without telling me you're from maine <laughs> yeah if the lobster hoodie wasn't enough all year round <laughs> the all year round thing is nice though absolutely, absolutely. I'm, I'm all about that i, I have to like remember to not walk around my house naked between november and april <laughs> If I had friggin' pine cones on trees outside, you would, you would never. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, win 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 for everybody involved in that. Yeah, one. I'm gonna remember to not drive by your house in the dead of winter. I'll take the long way around. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, we met our new neighbors. Uh, we went over to dinner at their house a, a few weeks ago, and we were talking about like whether or not we could see each other's house from our house and our bedroom like faces their house. So we have three large picture windows, whatever in our bedroom that like directly face their house. And it's, they're like, I don't know, 500 feet away or something like that. Um, but, uh, we said something about being able to see each other's house or whatever. And I was like, Oh yeah. can see you great through the telescope. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, classic. Oh, that's good. That had to go over real well. <laughs> Bailey said, "I wish I was outside Doug's early April." <laughs> Yikes! Thanks, Bailey. So does Bradley Shea. <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, we've got another. Super let's chat. go to questions. <laughs> yeah, super chat from Mo again. Mo, I got you. Might need this money for something else, uh, <laughs> my human. But thank you very much. Like for your lawsuit. It over. Yeah. Uh, so Mo says, I just took delivery of my 2024 GT3 RS uh, Vysok. BAT will only set the reserve at 400K. There is no lockup or lien holder. Would you list no reserve? Um, what is the sticker on that, right? So they're trading between 100 and 150K over sticker, to my knowledge. Um, so... No reserve is is no reserve is good, but it's risky. On a car like a brand new GT3 RS, it's not really that risky because um, it's going to get so much attention just being a new GT3 RS on sale. However, it's going to also get a lot of negative attention. And Bring a Trailer has had to pull numerous auctions, including a Porsche GT car and a Ferrari, because the person who was selling it, even though they didn't sign a no resale, no flip contract with the dealer, um, got so much pressure from the dealer who got so much pressure from the manufacturer who didn't want to see their cars flipped on a public platform like that, that they pulled the listings. So it's very highly probable that the listing will get pulled anyway. Um, and I hope you don't want to buy another GT car from Porsche because whether or not the listing gets pulled, um, your ability to buy cars again probably will disappear. I may or may not know something about being blacklisted by Porsche corporate. <laughs> so um, I did find, I was searching for some comps of this yep. to see how much they're even going for. I, I couldn't find any auctions in this quick time, but uh, there's a dealer uh, in Miami. I mean, like it. That's got one listed for 600. It's yellow with a Vysok. Sure. And a. Uh, I mean, I'd be fine good. listing it no reserve. It'll get a ton of attention and the buyers will be there. There will be enough dealers buying it that, worst case scenario, you'll sell it for wholesale. It's not going to completely bomb. But um, yeah, it might get pulled. I don't know if that auction will will actually go through unless you know something I don't and and the dealer has given you full explicit permission to to sell it on an auction but that that could be risky there there will be some sort of of kickback flack whatever you want to kick flack I kick just flack. invented a new term Michael Scarn <laughs> what was it called kick kick flack kick, kick flack. flack you're getting flack and kickback kick yeah. it's kick flack I love it. Yes. Uh, great. So, uh, speaking of auctions, how do we do on the appraiser, Tyler? Who? Um, I had a not so hot week, uh, which I feel like I was owed. It was due. Yeah. Um, so you, my goodness, you had a Mitsubishi. I want to call it the legume, the legnum. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce that. Probably butchering it. Um, you picked $15,000 and it sold for 26,787, which is like an astonishing amount of money. The car was fantastic. The purple, yes. the seats, uh, I and they're just attractive cars in general, but that is a ton of money. It is. In fairness to you, the last one that sold on Cars and Bids sold for 4 grand, but <laughs> it wasn't a VR4 in a cool color either, but okay. like you picked 
I think the average of 26 and 4, 30 divided by 2. Yeah, you hit it right in the middle. So you guessed the average of the two that sold. So I'll give you some credit there. I appreciate how much credit you, you've you given me throughout all this for how much I have just given you the worst scenarios possible in this well, game. Well, I'm not giving you any credit on the spreadsheet. That's not numerical well, uh, credit. Yeah, but it, <laughs> to, just, the, to the people, you're being very kind. Right. And I've been brutal to you. It's like stars <laughs> on TikTok. They're really not worth anything. <laughs> They make me feel better, though. But <laughs> they, they get the question through. Um, yes, and I had a 91 964 Turbo with 16,000 miles turquoise metallic over cashmere. I guess 225, which I've been kicking myself for all week because more and more I think about it and kind of like thinking through the auctions at Monterey and how high Porsches have been going. I'm like, man, I really should have bid that a little bit higher but it's still not a 3.6 turbo and i was helped out by the fact that the seller was kind of non-responsive on the auction so he cost himself some money i think there's no paint meter readings posted and everybody's fanatical about well is it original paint or not um so that one sold for 250 so Oh, and I it was, went to Ryan Friedman. I just and it went that. to Ryan Friedman. Went to a dealer. So in theory, there's more room there, or maybe he was buying for a client. Uh, so either way, it was, I guess, undervalued for numerous uh, reasons. But again, I'll take the somewhat win. I was ten percent short of the final bid, but as a dealer, I feel like that's where I should be because we try to buy cars for ten percent below retail. So you did good. It, well, not at the game because I'm supposed to guess <laughs> what it would sell for retail, but I'm just going to use that excuse. So uh, I'm back to my almost under double digit misses. <laughs> <laughs> And I was slightly uh, more kind to you this week as well. I might have right. to change that. All right. What did what did you uh, what did you pick? Uh, so I've picked for you. This one's coming to you from Cars and Bids. Uh, oh it boy. is a 2008 Porsche Boxster S Limited Edition. Oh, the bright orange. Yeah. Yes. So I'm this, sorry. It's RS orange. Yes. RS yes. orange, not signal orange. Uh, with some great color matched interior trim, it's got the lobster claw wheels, which I'm not Standard. a huge fan of. But yep. Alcantara uh, interior, Alcantara shift knob, all the GT3 yeah. type interior trim. Yep. All of that. It's a bit, the Alcantara surprisingly is a bit worn, but you know, it's not like the end of the world. The car seems overall in pretty great shape. Okay. How many miles? Uh, it has 31,000 kilometers. Oh, is the car so in Canada? It is. Okay. That affects things big time. So it's and got it's a Canadian like spec car or 19... was it originally a US spec car? Uh, let me find out. That's about 19,000 miles though. Do we have where this car was delivered to originally? Uh, yes, it is a Canadian spec example. Okay, Canadian spec example, 2008 Boxster S Limited. S, right? Not the base. Correct. S Limited in orange, manual transmission, 19,000 miles in Canada. Any other notable things about it? Uh, it's got the Sport Chrono. Did all, was that standard on these? Mm, I don't know if it was on the Limited. But it's got the sport design body kit, uh, completely stock, no modifications. Sport design body kit was from factory. Um, man, Canada. So when you bring it in from Canada, there's a two and a half percent duty plus the import fees plus shipping. Where in Canada is it? Is it like Toronto or is it out in friggin' one of the, you know, uh, territories? Chilliwack, British Columbia is where this That's is That's way out there. Way but out I gotta west. say, the photos are really good. Like there's, uh, 
I want to go to Canada, the- man. That kills it. Um, I'm going to say the low miles are really good, but it's Canada. God, I want to go to where this dealer's at. There's a bunch of mountains in the background. Greenery, <sighs> sunshine. I'm going to say 35. All right. I think if it was a U.S. car here, it would go for probably low 40s. I think the Canadian thing hurts it because it's going to cost five, six grand to get it here. Um, Got to swap out the cluster if you want to. Um, Did you uh, pull the listing up? No. Okay. Why? What's the current bid at? Do you want to know? 35? No, it's at 30. Okay. With like six days, five, sorry, five days left. That doesn't mean anything. It could be the posturing bids. Fine. 36. Nope. Sorry. It's all locked in. It's This is like a vault we're like fort knox with our fine 35 <laughs> I, whatever that's my my the dealer in me maybe i'm low but again it's it's it, it would cost me five grand to get the car here plus you have the the buy fee so i'd be in at low 40s and it's still a 987 boxster s like great low mileage etc i don't know i don't know i'll probably be low but fine 35 I think a lot of people might miss out on the stuff that you're mentioning because the photos are amazing. It's bright orange. There's only 250 of them. It seems to be in really good shape, uh, but it does have the metric instrument cluster. So, like you said, you'd have to swap yeah. that out. So, um, and the, you got it's got to get cleared by customs and the U.S. DOT, all that crap. You know, I'm saying words that don't make any sense. It's a good sense, looking but. car, though. Yeah, you have to get a bond on it when you bring it in because it's not an original U.S. car, yada, yada, yada. So there is some hassle factor there, and that equates to money. And every time I've seen Canadian cars go on bringing a trailer or even U.S. cars in Canada, they they are discounted. It's just it is what it is. And, and people kind of see them as gray market cars, even though they're not really. I mean, it's a North American spec. They're all the same um, other than a couple stickers and the gauge cluster. So we'll see. We'll see how wrong I am. All right, for you. Oh, yeah. I'm so ready to just get destroyed. On Bring a Trailer. Okay. I, I want you to guess. What manufacturer did I pick? Uh, if you're making me guess, is it Porsche? Nope. 2400 mile, 2002 Ford Windstar LX. I'm sorry, what? The mom van that we all rode around in when we were younger. My grandpa had one of these. It's got, hold on, it's got medium graphite cloth oh, interior, so you should be happy. Go. And a steering wheel that looks like the fat aliens in Toy Story. <laughs> you know, the ones that say, ooh, the claw. Oh, my goodness. Yes, you could be holding that while you're driving. That same steering wheel was also in the Sable wagon I used to drive in high school. Ew. So it's it's not a, not a good time. Yeah. So I don't think anything really needs to be said about it. It's a time capsule <laughs> Ford Windstar. <laughs> Arguably <laughs> one of the worst cars that Ford ever produced. We were talking about this literally the other day about like survivor cars. And I'm like, I think the Ford Windstar was the worst car ever because you never see any. They just, they all rusted completely out if the transmission didn't fail before that. They were not good cars. God, I just don't see this going for much anything. Like somebody's gonna think it's gonna be a meme to have like the perfect one of these, and then they're gonna drive it. Uh, it's not old enough for Radwood either, so I don't even know what you do with this. 
Oh, come on, Tyler. Litwood. Tyler, you need a number. I'll say 10 grand. I don't know. 10K. That I if somebody pays 10k, they should be embarrassed. Listen, I've been trying sort of on and off to buy a really nice <laughs> Ford Taurus SHO to relive my nostalgia because that was my first car. But I the nostalgia, there's a quote, one of my favorite quotes of all time is from the book Love in the Time of Cholera. And it is to the effect of uh uh, the heart's memory eliminates the bad and magnifies the good, thereby making us victims to nostalgia. And I feel that's true about a lot of cars that we want to yeah, relive. Seriously. And the SHO is totally that. It has an amazing engine, but it's fundamentally not a great car to drive. And so I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to buy a really nice one, which there are hardly any left. But then one sells for like 15 grand. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm in for like six. Yeah, you're like, eh, it could be an impulse at that point. Right, right. So 10 for a perfect Windstar? Yeah, yeah. That's, I don't... I we'll see, see. Even if it goes for more than that, if 10K or above, the buyer should be embarrassed because that is a <laughs> pile of trash. The question is, is a perfect Windstar worth more or less than a perfect SHO? It has to be less. I will lose so much more faith in humanity if it's more than a good SHO. I think a, I think a twenty five hundred mile SHO would go for like twenty five to thirty grand because yeah. it has cult collector status, and I don't think there are any low mile ones. The low ish mile ones have sold for ten to fifteen. But what do you think this is going to go for? <laughs> I don't have to guess. <laughs> You think I'm going to be that dumb to put a number on it? Oh, God. I just have no idea. Listen, some dang museum or collector or whatever is going to buy this. I bet it... I think you're low. I think you're low. I mean, probably, but uh, maybe. I, I I don't know. I can't even be <laughs> swayed by the gray interior. Oh, gosh. All right. Anyway. Boy, they're preparing for Litwood. <laughs> enough, enough about ugly minivans. <laughs> Gosh, Jason Sabo, regular Facebook watcher, just messaged me and said, "What up, Pine Cone?" <laughs> <laughs> nice. We do actually have a question on Facebook. Okay, this is from uh, Michael Butcher. What company did the gated conversion on the Ferrari three hundred and sixty? The one that we have in stock uh, was done by the owner, and um, it's turning well one a whole bunch of people call and they think oh gee it's a factory manual transmission car for 30 percent less than it should go for even though we said in the description at least twice that it was a conversion um but a lot of people want it done by like a quote-unquote reputable company and they're like well the owner did it that's kind of weird but this guy like he does his own major services on cars all sorts of stuff but I could understand that hesitation if the companies that were doing them were like Singer or, you know, like Aston Martin Works does the conversions on the Vanquishes, right? So it's like, okay, if your option is Aston Martin Works or the owner in his garage, yeah, I'm taking Aston Martin. But you've got a bunch of less than stellar reputation companies that are doing the manual conversions thus far. And we've heard many mixed opinions on the quality of their conversions and or how they've 
run their business and treated their customers. I think they're getting better. But, you know, when your option is a, a, a garage mechanic that started a company to do this or a garage mechanic, like, I mean, <laughs> I don't think there's that big of a deal or big of a difference. There's not that many um, steps in between. Right. Well, and it's not like it, it's a proven process and it's not that big of a conversion. It uses the original gearbox. So you're only changing out a few items. Yes, you're installing a clutch system and, and you have to pipe the hydraulic system in through the brake master cylinder or something like that because, you know, it's not the same as the factory hydraulic clutch. So there's a little bit of engineering involved, but everything has been done before. If you're there, a good mechanic, uh, you can do it. Are there a bunch of like software computer changes that need to be done on the 360s? I seem to think the 430s and above have a lot of stuff you got to do. I don't think there's a whole ton of them, but anyway, but that can all be done by somebody like, okay, you, anyway, it's, it's a proven process. That's, that's the, that's the real answer. So a good mechanic can do something that's a proven process and yeah, it works great. I've driven it. I think it's an awesome car. So I'd take a conversion over a factory one probably and just pocket the extra 40, 50, 80 grand. Well, because you're buying it to drive. Right. If you're buying it to drive, a conversion is just as good as long as it was done well. Yes. Get you the same experience. Yep. And you get to have paddles. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does that still have the paddles on it? Yes. To just like hold on to while you're driving. I don't know. No, they, they were taking out of this the one. thieves. Oh, they were? Yeah. When I drove it the first time, I think they were still in it. Okay. It doesn't so look maybe like they've been removed now. now. Okay. For those of you uh, listening, I'm sitting right next to it. Can confirm. <laughs> My <looks> apologies. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe it was a different car. I don't know. I drove one that had both. So maybe it was an M3. Heck if I know. I'm you just, just, got, you got, I, just got so many cars. I'm a pine in. cone. <laughs> yeah. Spouting nonsense. Classic pine cone energy here on Spouting Switchcast. Spouting nonsense. All right, it is, wow, it is that time. Uh, it is time for the props and flops. For those of you with questions in the live chat, we will be doing bonus round tonight. Tip talk, stick around, throw those questions in. We love we love it quite a bit. Uh, a little more informal and a little more trash talk, smack talk, whatever you call it. Back flack, flip, <laughs> flip back. I don't even remember my own term. Uh, kick flack, yes. Uh, so... Props and Flops, brought to you by Switch Cars. Switch Cars is the enthusiast's dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. Check out our handpicked inventory at switchcars.com. And our pick of the week from Switch Cars inventory this week is... Aventurin Green 992 Cabriolet. Ah, oh, the fake Aventurin. Yeah. Or no, the, the new one. It's real. Anyway, 43,000 <laughs> miles, 2021, 911 Cabriolet, an Aventure in green with, it's got like the Aventure in green seat inserts too. Like oh, it's a black it really? and green interior. Oh. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's very cool. subtle because it's like a gray green. Um, yeah, it has 43,000 miles. The guy drove it on many road trips back and forth across the country. No cannonballs, but uh, well-maintained. Uh, yeah. Just a, a really great car. And I learned something new. They do not offer stick shift on the base 992s, only in the higher level models. That seems backwards. I can't imagine many people want a stripper 992, but that seems odd. 
I think it's Porsche knowing their audience and it's they're upcharging for the things that they could do, but like they're saying, okay, if you're an enthusiast, great, you want to stick. Well, then you have to buy a higher level trim package, whatever. Hmm. Um, because even the last couple of years, they've been prioritizing producing cars with higher margins. So if you ordered a base 911, you were at the bottom of the totem pole. If you ordered a GTS Targa with everything on it, or well, it doesn't matter what you put on it, but if you order a GTS Targa or a Turbo S, your car would get produced before the base 911. So I get it, but yeah. Hmm. So that's, uh, I learned that this week. Anyway, flop of the week. Uh, it's me again. It's me again, <laughs> Margaret. Uh, I got a parking ticket today. Oh. Uh, it's been years. I don't remember the last time. Uh, in an Austin Martin. And uh, yeah, I was searching so hard for the visitor parking and um, could not. Like, there's so many signs, I was very confused that I did not see the handicap sign. Oh. And I man. accidentally parked in a handicap spot. So you parked which is a manual Aston in a handicapped spot. Yes. Yikes. With a bumper sticker on it that said, I have massive cannonballs. <laughs> I'm amazed my car didn't get keyed. <laughs> It was an accident, I swear. I am not that brazen. I, I, please, ADA, don't come after me. This was not a, a, this was not a thing. But it was, it was funny. So it was, it was a warning. It wasn't an actual police officer. It was a private security that wrote it. Thankfully, because that's it, like a two hundred, three hundred dollar fine. Um, this is a handicap parking. No placker. P L A C K E R. No placker. Um, Blacker, I barely know. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> I, I told my wife that I got a ticket for, for not having a placard. I said, maybe you should be concerned. <laughs> anyway, no placard. Next will be towed. Mike, well, thank you. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I literally didn't even know until I left because I like pulled out and I'm like, what's that thing on my window? And then I like sort of saw a blue sign. <laughs> I was like, oops. Uh-oh. Uh, anyway, yeah, I feel like a, a total... Pinecone? Pinecone. <laughs> <laughs> what did he say? Utter. I'm an absolute yeah. utter pinecone. Oh, yes. Mentally challenged. That's my... <laughs> that's... I can't get a handicap placard for that. That I am, though. Uh, many people can confirm. Uh, there's your TikTok highlight for the week. <laughs> it's good. Uh, prop of the week goes to somebody who listed a Panos AIV Roadster. For those of you that don't know, it's what you would think is a prowler so if you don't know what it is and you saw it it's a prowler but it's not a prowler it's a v8 manual uh stripped out car with very few amenities um anyway it's been for sale a couple times in the past but it is listed with a 134,000 miles on it excuse me right it is by magnitudes of 10, the highest mileage Panos Roadster that I know in existence. How do you do that? That's what I want to know. <laughs> um, right? 
So I want to shake the guy's hand, buy him a beer that puts that many miles on a car like this. It does have a top, but it's a manual, like, install a tent type top. It does have air conditioning. Um, yeah, but I drove one of these on the highway once. It is a terrifying experience. Yes. You will die. It, at anything comes at you, a goose, you'll probably <laughs> die. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ethan has experience with geese coming at him. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Before. Right. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that's, it's, well, he didn't die. Um, and it reminded me, so we featured Kay and Mickey from Hawaii on the podcast last year who built, who put probably 100,000 miles on their home-built CSX 4000 Cobra, yeah. which is not too far removed from a Panos. Uh, they both have a top. The Panos has air conditioning. Other than that, I think they're the same. They're <laughs> big V8s in the front, and you know, kind of a tight squeeze. The Panos might be a tighter squeeze than the Cobra, honestly. Um, so, yeah, good, good for those people. I don't know if I'm, uh, I'm up up for that, but uh, anyway. So, like I said, stick around uh, YouTube and TikTok, people. We're going to do tip talk after this, uh, some some live interaction with your questions. And uh, for the rest of you, we'll see you next week. This concludes our regular show. So thanks to my uh, uh, trusty team here, Ethan Huffnagel and Tyler Sanders. Thank you to our spot sponsors, BoxCast, Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cars, Celebrity Machines, Parallel Printworks, and Stephen Holm Woodworking. Our bumper music on the audio podcast, anyway, is provided by <laughs> Emily and Ivory. You can stream the full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available next Monday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. as we look forward to edifying, entertaining, and educating you on the drive of your life.